Romans 12.1. I beseech you, or I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual worship. In the lead-up to the 2003 NFL season, Bill Belichick had to make uh, his final roster cut-downs. And to everyone's surprise, he cut Pro Bowl safety Lawyer Malloy. And uh, Malloy ended up finding a team just a couple of days later, the Buffalo Bills, and those two teams faced each other in the first game of the 2003 NFL season and the Bills absolutely pummeled the Patriots, 31-0. to zero. It was a resounding beating. There was a lot of media noise about the Patriots, about Bill Belichick, and about that game. And it was headlined by ESPN's Tom Jackson, who famously said that the Patriots players, of the Patriots players, they hate their coach. You still hear that clip comes up regularly, even these 18 years later, that clip is still being played. They hate their coach. You know, it's true that players find it very difficult to play hard for a coach that they disdain or do not trust. Well, warm and fuzzy is not Bill Belichick's way. That is not the guy you're going to get. Instead... He dissects the other team's strengths and weaknesses and tries to put together a game plan that gives his team the best chance to win that coming game. That's his thing. He's been doing it for years. He has, over the years, earned the respect and trust of those players that he leads. After that game at the beginning of the 2003 season, the Patriots went on to win 34 out of the next 37 games, including two Super Bowl championships and, I might add, the very end of the 2003 regular season, the Patriots played the Bills again. And they beat them 31-0. I don't think there was any coincidence about that score. Who knows? So whether people love his personality or hate his personality... Bill Belichick has learned to gain the attention of his players. They've learned to trust his game plans because they tend to work. That's how it works. Well, in a far more critical matter, and with a far greater object, believers have experienced not the good ways, not the better ways, but the perfect ways of God. We have tasted His mercy. We have tasted of the goodness of the Lord. And these tastes of goodness and mercy have gained our affection, have gained our trust, have gained our allegiance. This morning, as we move into the very practical section of the book of Romans, we want to see that God's mercies provoke a confident surrender of our lives. 
God's mercies provoke a confident surrender of our lives. And the way that we phrased it by the way of a sermon title is this, God's mercies free us to worship. God's mercies free us to worship. Now we already read Romans 12. One, I'm going to read it again because it's one of those passages that um, as a meditation should come up into our minds as the days go along. And so again, the, the Scripture says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul has spent 11 chapters writing of God's merciful, gracious provision of salvation for weak and wounded sinners like me. And for weak and wounded sinners like you. He leaves no one outside of that provision. He has clearly articulated that it is all who call upon the name of the Lord that shall be saved. He has made sure to cover the fact that there's a remnant of the Jewish people, those that are of Old Testament Israel, that have still understood God's saving grace, that remnant has remained, that the many, many uh, Gentiles have experienced the mercies of God and in far greater numbers than those Old Testament Jewish people. But he also points to the fact that there is a time coming when all Israel would be saved. And so he's demonstrated that this salvation message, the Gospel, is for both Jews and Gentiles. He has spelled out countless blessings for all who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And now he wants to remember those mercies. He wants to remember all that he's covered as an appeal for you and as an appeal for me to place our lives at the disposal of a great Saving, blessing God. He says, look at who God is by looking at what God has done. And it makes it very easy for us to say, I can easily come underneath that authority. He is worthy of my utmost confidence. He is a saving Great, blessing God. And so, the first item of our discussion this morning is this. All of our blessings have resulted from God's mercies. All of our blessings have resulted from God's mercies. Now, we're going to list nine different things. We don't have, we're not going to spend time looking at all of these nine things. We've been covering it for several years now, or a year and a half or so of, of our study of Romans. But we're going to list them. But I want us to remember that all of these blessings are a direct result of God's mercy. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. It's not as if I had some special thing within me that elicited God's mercy. It's not as though I found a special way to provoke God's mercy. God's mercies are based upon Him and His nature and His glorious purposes. 
So all of our blessings have resulted from God's mercies. First of all, we saw in Romans 3, 22-23 that God justifies all who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. God justifies. Just for sake of clarification about what justification is, it's the removal of sin. That's mercy. The removal of sin. And it's the addition or declaration, or if you want the theological term, imputation of Jesus' righteousness. God changes the records. Instead of me, Rob the sinner, I've been declared Rob the righteous. Not Rob's righteousness, Christ's righteousness that He demonstrated for 33 some years as He walked the face of the earth in perfect obedience to the Father. God justifies all who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. That means that your record, if you come to, to Jesus through faith, if you say, God, I'm a sinner. I need salvation through Jesus Christ. God removes the record of your sin debt. And He changes that record with another one. One of Christ that is one of perfect righteousness. God justifies all who come to Him through faith in Christ. Secondly, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, God gives peace and hope to all who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. That expression, to all who call upon Him or come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ, will be the consistency on all of these points that we're looking at very briefly. So the change is going to be in God gives peace and hope. We find that in Romans chapter 5. Thirdly, God frees from sin's mastery all who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. So we were in bondage. We were, we were enslaved to sin. But when we come to God through Jesus Christ, the shackles are removed. That doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. It means that sin doesn't have a right to rule over us. God removes us. That, that slavery. He frees us from slavery. Number four, God gives eternal life to all who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 6 21 through 23. The wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this is one of the many mercies of God that Paul is calling to our remembrance. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in accordance with or based upon the mercies of God. And these four are just some of those mercies. The fifth one, God gives His Holy Spirit to all who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 that if we don't have the Spirit, we don't have Christ. If we don't have the Spirit, we don't have Christ. That's stating in the negative. Well, it's stated in the positive. If we've come to know Christ as our Savior, we have the Spirit. So that's what he tells us in verses 13 through 16. He tells us that if we're led by the Spirit, we're the children of God. And the, the Spirit bears witness with our Spirit that we are the children of God. And it's the Spirit that cries out within us, what? Abba! Father! This is a mercy of God. This is a mercy that God is reminding us of as He says, listen, place yourself in My hands. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Am I trustworthy? The answer to that is a resounding yes. Well, as we move a little further, 
Number six, God provides an eternal inheritance to all who come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. At, in verse 17 of Romans 8, he tells us that uh, we are joint heirs with Christ. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've been united together with him. Not only do you have his righteousness on your account, the, the inheritance that awaits you is the inheritance that belongs to Christ. And the Bible tells us that he's inherited everything. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 1 later for that one. It's beautiful. Number seven, God uses all of our pain for good. This is to all who come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a long section there, verses 18 to 30 of Romans chapter 8. But it's, it, this is one of great hope. Friends, think for just a moment. You've endured various and maybe even countless difficulties in your life. And none of us like them. None of us enjoy pain and turmoil and suffering. But the hope that this passage gives us is that God doesn't waste those pains and sufferings. He uses them. He uses them to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And he uses them as a way to increase our capacity for glory. It's beautiful. This is a mercy of God. Going on a little further. With a spelling error. God ensures his eternal love for all who come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. God ensures his eternal love. What a, what a great passage. Romans 8, 32 to 39, where he tells us, is God for you? If God's for you, who can be against you? And he goes on, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall separate us? From the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he goes and he lists, shall tribulation or pain or turmoil or death, or famine, nakedness, peril, sword, any of this? And the answer is a resounding, no. I am secure. I will never have to wonder and worry about whether God loves me if I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have God's eternal love and it is assured to me. This it's a precious mercy of a great, saving, merciful God. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Hallelujah. Can you trust Him? Can you trust a God like this? The last one is just a, a, an overall idea from Romans 9-11. through 11. There's a lot that we could have picked through to demonstrate this, but God demonstrates His mercy on all who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. God demonstrates His mercy on all who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. This is good. If God were not merciful, 
if God were not merciful, we would all remain dead in our trespasses and sins. We would be under the curse of the law. We would be under the condemnation for our sin. And we would spend eternity separate from God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you sense that? It's all about me and my sin and my guilt and my condemnation because of my sin, but God. God doesn't leave me there. He has held out for me as He's held out for you. Mercy and grace. Mercy to forgive your sin. Grace to declare you righteous. Mercy to take the guilt away. Grace to give you eternal life in a heavenly place with Him. This merciful, gracious, loving way has engendered our admiration for God. We have come to love Him because He first loved us. Do you sense that in yourself? I can't answer that for you. Do you sense that you've come to love God? Do you sense that affection, admiration, even desperation for Him, recognizing the greatness and the depth of His love for you? Yes, I can sense that love. He's given it to me. He shed His love abroad in our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit whom He's given to us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. You know, we could spend all our days meditating on the mercies of God and not exhaust all of the impact that they have. Because we have learned who God is, it is the next logical step to entrust ourselves to Him. And that's exactly what our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, did during His life on earth. He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. It's from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. So, based upon the mercies of God that we have experienced from our perfect and awesome God, Paul appeals to us to present our bodies to this God. This one. The one that we've been reading about. The one that we've been studying about. The one that we've been hearing has offered himself through Christ as a once-for-all sacrifice for for our salvation. This is the God that Paul is appealing to you and to me to lay ourselves bare before. So, let's discuss what that means. We surrender our whole being to our saving 
merciful God. We surrender our whole being to our saving, merciful God. It says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The word present there is paristemi. Uh, it means to place at the disposal of another. It's to lay ourselves out before Him. It's to say, here I am. Remember, remember in Isaiah chapter 6? There's this scene. You see the, the angels crying out before God. Holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And then there's this call. After Isaiah, Isaiah says, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips for I've seen the Lord. There's this call. Who will go for us? What did he say? Here am I. <laughs> Send me. This is the idea, friends, of placing ourselves before the Lord. Here I am, Lord. I'm yours. Do what you want. Do what you want. I'm yours. Why would I do this? I've learned who he is. As a Navy chaplain, I always had it an easy and direct access to the commanding officer. I'd walk down the hall to the command suite and knock on the door. I'd be invited in. Several different CEOs, skippers, um, they'd invite me in. I'd sit down in front of their desk or we'd sit over in the, the other area and you know, we'd have a conversation and I would always let them know, hey, listen, I'm, I'm an available resource to you, skipper, to you, to your staff, to all the sailors. You know, however I can be helpful, let me know. I, you know I'm, you've got my information. It's not just during drill weekends. It's, it's 24 hours a day. You let me know what you need and you know, I'll do what I can to support. I was placing myself at his disposal. I wanted to make an impact that was needed. You know, similarly, if you're a head of a household and you have children and a wife to care for, you're responsible for their physical well-being. Um, let's suppose you're, you're without income for one reason or another. Um, you might go to your local workplace, some, someone that's hiring, and tell them, hey, these are my professional skills. This is what, I, what I'm, uh, I've done in the past. But whatever I can do, however I can you know, get in here and, 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 uh, and have a job so I can provide for my family, you might not utilize, you, know, you might not be as, as uh, bare laid open to them, but in your own mind, you're understanding, I've got to do whatever I've got to do. I might have to wash some toilets. I might have to uh, mop some floors, but I need to take care of my family because I need income. I've got to provide food for my children. doesn't matter what it takes. I've got to take out the garbage. That's what I'll do. You have that kind of a work ethic, right? That you, you wouldn't let your children starve because you're too proud to wash a toilet, clean a toilet, or whatever the case may be. You lay yourself bare before them. Why? Because you've got to take care of something. You're, you're placing yourself at the disposal of another. It's a, it's a vulnerable position to be in. Whether it's the Navy or a local business, you might not know what kind of a person that you're uh, going to be employed by. Will they care about you? Will they care about your family? Or will they only see this as a means for their own gain? Will they abuse you in your vulnerability? Or will they come through as a source of help and a, and a good place to work? You know, 
You never need to worry about this with God. You never need to worry about whether God is going to use you and abuse you. You never need to worry about whether God is going to uncaringly employ you on some thing just for His own diabolical purposes. We've been, we've been hearing this appeal to lay ourselves out before a God who is merciful that we've experienced His goodness. We've tasted His grace. We understand His mercy. Placing yourself at God's disposal is not a scary proposition. That does not mean it's not an uncomfortable proposition. It's called a sacrifice after all. So there could be some discomfort in laying yourself bear before the Lord in placing yourself at his disposal. It could be quite a bit of challenge that comes our way. But it's not scary because we've already learned God's character and we've already learned God's way. Presenting ourselves as a sacrifice is an interesting concept because the language that Paul is using harkens our minds back to the Old Testament sacrificial system where day after day they would bring peace offerings and trespass offerings and guilt offerings. And of course, year by year they would bring the, the, the one Yom Kippur Day of Atonement offering that was going on. You've, all of this in the background of this living sacrifice. Now we understand that Jesus Christ has been laid down as a once for all perfect sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He is in, his sacrifice is entirely and eternally sufficient. We can't add to His sacrifice. It's a satisfying sacrifice. It satisfied what? The Father... There's this great word that we've discussed in our study of the book of Romans. Remember that word? Propitiation. Propitiation. It's the settlement of God's wrath against our sin. Jesus' perfect, satisfying sacrifice absorbed the wrath of God in the place of everyone that has trusted Christ as Savior. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I will never, under any circumstance, at any time, for any reason, experience God's wrath. Jesus endured it in my place. Hallelujah. God tells you and He tells me, that we are to place ourselves, present ourselves, our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our whole being. Here he refers to our bodies, right? But can your finger point without your mind? Can you take a scoop of food without your mind? Can you say hallelujah without your mind? 
for my body to function, my mind needs to work. For me to present my body as a living sacrifice to God, I have to place my mind before Him. I have to say, Lord, my affections, the things I want. My senses, the things I feel. My thoughts. My will. I place it before You. And I say, it's Yours, O Lord. I'll do what You want. From my mind to my affections to my will. Everything I'm laying out before You. It's a whole being. This is exactly what the psalmist David wanted to do when he said in Psalm 19 and verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Your sight. O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Lord, I want in thought, word, and deed, I want to be Yours. I want to do what's right. We want our words to be helpful. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Think about that for a moment. Every word that comes out of your mouth is a revelation of what according to Jesus? Your heart. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So there are people all around you, in your homes, in the church, in the workplace, in the marketplace, wherever you go, and they hear the words of your mouth. It's a revelation of the heart. And the question is, will they be seeing a person who has fully given themselves over to the Lord Jesus Christ or someone that's just like everybody else? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. These words we want to be words filled with grace. We want our resources to reflect our God, right? In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16, the Bible says this Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And so, here we are, we go to work, and it's good, and we get our paycheck, whether you're paid every week, every other week, whatever your case may be. You, you gain all this. The Lord gives you the ability to, to, to gain, right? And what are we supposed to do with those resources? Well, we spend some because we got to live. We save some because we need to think about the future. And we share some. Spend, save, share. What your percentage is, those things are between you and the Lord. We've got to do something that gives some shape to our financial condition. And God has called us to share with one another in the body and even outside of the body, right? We want to be those that demonstrate His charitable nature. We want our resources to reflect our God. We also want our actions to point others to our saving God. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6.10, this is that reference to even those outside. God's Word says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to... What does it say? Everyone. Everyone. Do good to everyone. This is actions. This is words. And this can be resources. Resources. 
Then he says, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What motivates us to do this? We have a lot of motivations too. First and foremost, the mercies of God. Okay, That's the first and foremost. But there are some other motivations that might prompt us to want to place ourselves before the Lord and have these words and actions and resources um, be demonstrating God's glory. What, what, is, what is it that would, would motivate us? Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2 for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 serve as an excellent motivation for you and for me to order our lives in a way that reflects that we've laid our lives out before the Lord as a living sacrifice. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Why? They wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God on the day of visitation, at the day of judgment, that their their speaking evil mouths will be changed to glorifying mouths. Oh, just think about the motivation that we have here. To live for the glory of God. To live to please Him. To live in light of His mercies. And also to recognize that my day in and day out life could make an impact on a person who doesn't know Christ, who speaks evil against the Christ that I love and worship. He speaks evil against it, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story hasn't been written yet. What is the end of it? Perhaps... Perhaps through your life and testimony and demonstration of the gospel day in and day out over a period of time, God might change that person and call them from darkness into light, from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God, that they would have life and have it abundantly, that on the day where they stand before Jesus Christ, they'll say, yes, my Lord and my Savior, as opposed to what they might be saying today. Does that motivate you? Peter says, in this concept, in this, in this context, it's abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. They're saying something about, about me. They're criticizing me. What's my first inclination? Fight back. Fight back. Defend myself. Defend my honor. You're not going to talk about me like that. You're not going to talk about my church like that. You're not going to talk about my God like that. Let's fight. What are you winning right now? Perhaps instead of that, they might see the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. You might see us as a peacemaker that turns the cheek, gives the cloak, walks another mile, right? What a difference that could make. We want our lives to provoke or stir up questions from our neighbors about the Lord. And this does not, it's not accomplished by a holier than you or holier than thou attitude. That squashes inquiries. We want to demonstrate that we have been recipients of mercy, not that we're above mercy. We want our lives to reflect the kind mercies of our God. You know what's very attractive? 
Now you know it because you know it when you see it. Joy is attractive. You know what's attractive? Peace. Peace is attractive. You know what else is attractive? Hope. Hope is attractive. We could spend all day beefing about our current society and our political schemes. We could spend all day beefing about the policies with regard to masks, with regard to vaccinations, with regard to gas prices, and all the other stuff that you see all over the pages of the interwebs and social media. And what exactly are we accomplishing with our beefing? You know what you're doing? I don't want to really talk to that person. I don't want to hang out with that person. I don't really, that person's God is not the God I want. So hung up in the minutia of life when eternity is coming. Real life, real life is still to come. This, right now, yes, we are living a real life. Yes, we are real. I can actually poke myself. I know all that. I'm not saying that we're living some mysterious, you know, on another plane thing. What I'm saying is the real life is still to come. What this is all about is still forward. And we get focused on, on all these political agendas. And you know what happens? We get canceled. If someone cancels you for putting up John 3.16, let them cancel you. If they cancel you for Romans 5.8, let them cancel you. But if they cancel you because you're so bent on the latest vaccine policies, maybe you deserve canceling. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with you. I just don't think that that's like the biggest thing to, to spend my time worrying about. Real life is on the line. Sin and righteousness. Death and life. All of this is on the line. Let people see the hope we have in Christ and that we don't get waylaid by every last little nitty-gritty thing in our society. You know what else is, is attractive and appealing? And you know this one for sure. Love. Love is appealing. My brethren, let us not love in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let them not only hear the words of love from your lips, but let them see a life of love from your actions. And you know the only one that can produce that love really and rightly and truly in us is the Spirit of God, as is true also with joy, peace, and hope. These are all evidences of God's work. This is how we reflect the God that saved us by demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. When our neighbors see these things in us, among us and through us, there is an undeniable attraction. Oh, time is fleeting. I'll remind you that it was the kindness and goodness of God that led us to repentance. 
And it was because of God's kindness and mercy in our lives that He takes people that are the chiefest of sinners, like Paul and like me, and makes us fit for heaven. In our lives, we want to reflect that kind of a spirit. Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord and realized how trustworthy He is? Can you place your life on the altar of God and say, God, whatever you want to do with me, I'm ready because I've tasted how good you are and I want to reflect that goodness in this day that I live. There's only so many days we have left. So our surrender is is of our whole being. Nextly, and just for a couple of moments, our surrender is fruitful. Our surrender is fruitful. Three characteristics back in Romans 12 of this sacrifice. Head back to Romans 12 with me, please. The three characteristics of this surrender are it's living, which means it does it again and again. It's holy, and it's acceptable. Now, I want us to think through this in in a few moments. Living. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Living. It's not a one-and-done kind of surrender. I remember those services where the preacher was up there and he wanted me to surrender my life to God. And I would think, yes, I did that. And I try to do that every single day. It's not about a one and done, let's have a surrender service today. That surrender service accomplishes about 15 minutes of good. Unless it's followed by surrender and surrender and surrender and surrender and surrender. It's a living sacrifice, which means it's sacrificing again and again. Every day is a new day. And every day offers you and me an opportunity to give ourselves over to the Lord. Whose day will I live today? You ever ask that? When you wake up in the morning, whose day will I live today? Mine? I know exactly what I want. I want some pizza. I want something smoked on the grill. I want to watch football. Easy. Easy day. I know exactly what I want. I want to be with my family. I want to be with someone, some, you know, other people I love. That's great. All good. Whose day am I going to live? Just because it's something I want doesn't mean it's the, that's the day. right? Sometimes our day that we have all planned out goes awry, goes differently. Whose day is it? It's the Lord's. I don't know about you, I've wasted too many days with my own plans. The appeal here is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, which means to say, okay, Lord, this day is yours. Not just Sunday. Tomorrow's Monday. That's your day. Oh, Tuesday? Oh, it's Tuesday, Lord's Day. Oh, wait, it's Wednesday. Lord's Day. Thursday? Lord's Day. Right? All the days. They've all been entrusted to us. To whom do they belong? To Him. Let's let's give ourselves to Him. It's a living sacrifice. And then he says it's holy. Holy. This is one of God's perfections. You know, the sacrifices under the law of Moses, 
they had to be spotless, pure, right? They, they bring the, the spotless, pure lamb. God has called his people to be set apart, to be holy, right? Uh, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, but as he was called you as holy, so be holy in all your conduct. We've been called to be walking as children of light in Ephesians chapter 5. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, he goes through this, this is all coming. The, the elements will melt with a fervent heat. God is going to come back. He says, in, in light of all these things, in light of the, the coming end of all things, what kind of men should we be? What kind of people should we be? How should we live our lives? He says, in all holiness and godliness. There's good news in here. There's good news in here. Are you ready for the good news? God has declared you holy. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, you recognize you're a sinner, here's my sin, ah, that's not getting me where I need to be. This is going to end in judgment and guilt and condemnation. Okay, turn. Christ. I have trusted in Christ. I've turned from my sin. Repentance. I've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've received life. Have you received that life? God has declared you holy. Listen to these words from Colossians chapter 3. Beautiful passage of Scripture. Colossians 3 and verse 12. Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He goes on. Don't miss, you ready? I want to give you a, a, a great term. Don't miss the vocative. The vocative is the Greek, the Greek side of the noun of direct address. It's like, mom, and then he says something. Mom, and he says something. How many times have you heard mom in your life, moms? Oh, please, stop calling my name. My name is now Gus. Call me something else. I, I can't. Uh, mom is on vacation. Amount of a direct address. Well, right in the middle of this, where he says, you know, put on these things. Don't miss the nouns of direct address. He says, you're loved and you're holy. Who is he talking to? Plain old saints like you. Plain old saints like me. Just normal people that have trusted Christ as their Savior. And he says, Put these things on, holy and loved ones. Why is that so important? You know, God's told you and He's told me to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and holy. And think, all right, did I do it right? Did I do it enough? Did I do, did I do it enough times? Did I do it the right way? Did I say it the right way? Panic. I don't know. I don't, I'll, never, I'll never measure up. I can't do it right. I try and try and try and try and try. Are you a believer? You just lay yourself out before the Lord. Don't worry about it. He's got it. I'm not saying walk out and do whatever you feel like. That's not presentation of yourselves. What I'm saying is say, Lord, I'm yours. Let him deal with the rest of it. He's already done it. The work is complete. 
is complete through Christ. And he's declared you, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, as holy. And so your sacrifice of yourself is a holy sacrifice. It's glorious. It's freeing. And not only that, he moves on and says, it's a living sacrifice. It's a holy sacrifice and a sacrifice of God that is acceptable to him. That's an important phrase that he uses here, acceptable to him. We're told in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 8 through 10 that walking in light and in wisdom is pleasing to God. Very simple application in Colossians 3, children's obedience pleases God. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, it's a very important passage. Just take a look there with me for a moment. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. And I Pay close attention to the wording because it's worded very specifically to help us never to take the onus on ourselves for the fruit. Verse 15. Will you read the first two words with me? Through Him. One more time. Through Him. Who's the driving force? Him. The context is the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, let then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge or confess His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Why? For such sacrifices are what? Pleasing to God. Lay yourself out before the Lord. I wonder, will He accept me? Will He accept me? Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Have you trusted Christ? Are you a believer? Then don't ever forget this from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. He has made us accepted in the Beloved. He. He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Who's doing this work? Him. So what are we asked to do? I've got to really, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. I've got to make sure it's all right. You line it up perfectly. If I don't get it in this box, if I don't get it in this box, it's not going to work. No. Let God deal with that stuff. What is He asking His, His people to do? God, I'm yours. Place yourself at His disposal. He'll make an impact in you, He'll change your thinking when you lay yourself out before Him, He'll change your words. When you lay yourself out before him. He'll change your actions. When you lay yourself out before him. He'll start to change your affections. When you lay yourself out before him. He does this. It's accomplished. God is trustworthy. I can place myself in his care. I can give myself to him. I can yield every aspect of my life to him. And he will never fail me. He won't say, nah, you don't measure up. You're not what I was looking for. Why can't you be more like Johnny? We do that. I wish that I were more like that person. I wish I could speak like that person. I wish I could think like that person. I could remember things. I, for the, every day of my, my married life, I wish I could read like my wife. She can read a book in like three seconds. It's like, I don't get it. I'm the one that has to do all this reading, and, and I, it takes me hours and hours to read what it takes her a half a minute to read. I can't figure it out. It's the Lord's problem. It's just... Please strike that from the record. Record, That's the Lord's business. That's the Lord's business. I'm just going to lay myself out before Him. He'll use 
the resources he puts into me, the way he chooses, and it's all right. It's all right. So we should lay ourselves out before him. It's logical. Our surrender is logical. It's at the end of the passage, it says, which is your reasonable service in the King James? Remember that one? How I have it memorized. Spiritual worship in our ESV. The concept is logical service for God. Having understood God's glorious mercies, it makes laying our lives out before him the most reasonable thing to do. Why, after seeing who he is and what he does, would I lay myself out before anyone else? Why would I present my resources to this guy? How stupid is that? I've seen what I'm like. God unveils what I'm like in the first few chapters of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 6, I was enslaved to that guy. Why am I going to go back? What's the matter with me? It's logical. It makes sense to say, Lord, knowing who you are, knowing what you've done, and knowing the way you do things, all I care about is what you want to do. Lay your life out before him. It's a sacrifice. It's really a no-brainer. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, we don't have time to look there. Paul says, the love of Christ constrains us. That if one died for all, then all have died. Oh, what is this? What are you saying? So that all who have essentially received from God that life should not live for themselves, but for him who gave, themse- gave himself for us. We want to give ourselves to the Lord. This is also reasonable. It's called a sacrifice, though it costs me something. You know, to prepare for a 5K or a 10K, there are sacrifices of time required. Most people can't just get off the couch and run three or six miles. I know this guy can't. I can't. They need to train, and it costs something. Well, as we seek to worship God with our lives, it'll cost us. It'll cost our flesh something. Instead of sleeping in, perhaps we should get up. 30 minutes earlier and spend some time with the Lord in prayer and in His Word. Instead of thinking how no one has reached out to you, perhaps you should find a few people to contact. Ask them how you can pray for them or help them. Instead of vegging the late hours of the day away, maybe you should take a portion of that time and read a good book. Or connect with someone else for a Bible study. These are options. There are lots of ways to think through this. Here's one. Instead of staying home this Wednesday at 7, maybe you should join us as we continue our time of study in theology and prayer. One thing is sure. Listen, don't don't tune out. There's like a minute left. Give me one minute. One thing is sure. When you offer yourself to God, you won't regret it. He won't turn you away. He won't reject you. He's already declared you believer, but he's accepted you. And he's already declared you to be holy. So when you lay yourself out before him, he's ready.
He's ready to use you. We, believer, we are free to worship God. He's freed us from all these encumbrances. And he's freed us from stress. I don't have to wonder, God, will you accept my worship? If I've trusted him. So I'll lay myself out before him. And it's a sacrifice well-pleasing to him. He's ensured it through the death of his son. So we can sing God's praise. Freed. We can pray. Freed. We can read. Freed. We can serve God with gladness because we know who he is. Let's pray together. Father, you know what each person needs far greater than I know. I pray, Father, that you use your word in each one's life where it's appropriate and needed. Please help us to yield ourselves fully to you that you might use us as instruments in your hands that others would know Christ and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.